If you're uh, having a hard time knowing where that's at, it's the next to last book of the Old Testament. Malachi is the last book. Zechariah is the next to last book. So it may be easier to find Matthew and go left. Zechariah. We start tonight a 14-week study of the book of Zechariah because there's 14 chapters. That's why. Now I'm going to share a little bit tonight about the life and times of Zechariah because it's what helps us to understand why God spoke to Zechariah the way he did. But before we actually get into that, a couple of other sort of introductory notes. The name Zechariah means God remembers. God remembers His covenant. God remembers His promises. God remembers His people. And over and over again, this is going to be a theme that runs throughout the book. You and I need to be encouraged with that too. God never forgets us. God always remembers His people. He always remembers His promises. He always keeps His covenant. No matter what the situation or circumstances of our life may be. Then I want to direct your attention to verse 1 and verse 7. You will see a phrase that says in verse 1 and in verse 7 of chapter 1 of Zechariah, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah. You see that in both verse 1 and verse 7. That is not something for us to take for granted. It was not something Zechariah took for granted. It's not something the people of God took for granted. It's not something we should take for granted. That the Word of God would come to us. That we would be able to have the revelation of God with us. That God would speak to us and that we would be able to understand and comprehend the Word of God. But God never gives Zechariah or any of his prophets or people or anybody his word without expecting us to pass on his message and his word to others. Which is why then, in verse 14 and verse 17, you will see these words. Where God instructs the prophet to cry out or proclaim out loud in verse 14... And then in verse 17, to speak up again with the message of the Lord. So you'll notice there, the word of the Lord has come to Zechariah, but it's not to stay with Zechariah, it is to be passed on. And and Zechariah is not to say it lightly or quietly or whisper it. He is to cry out and proclaim loudly and to speak up the message of the Lord so that all God's people can hear the Word of God and be able to have the revelation of God in their life. Let me talk for a few moments about the life and times of Zechariah. You will notice there in verse 1 that Zechariah's book is set in an historical context. It says, in the eighth month of Darius's second year, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah. Why is that important? Well, approximately 90 years before this, God's people were sent into exile, into Babylon, under King Nebuchadnezzar. 
And they were there in Babylon for 70 years. Then after Babylon was defeated by the Medes and the Persians, a king by the name of Cyrus came along. And it was under Cyrus that God moved to the point where he allowed the Jews that wanted to, to go back to their homeland. And approximately 50,000 or so Jews left Babylon and went back to Jerusalem. Then after, a few years after Cyrus ruled, the Persians took over, which is who Darius is the king of, and now he is the king pretty much not only over the Persian Empire, but over the known world at that point. The Persians are controlling the world. Now the reason why all of this history is important is for this reason. When Babylon came in and basically ransacked Israel and and Jerusalem and all of that, they destroyed everything. They tore down the temple of God. They destroyed the city of Jerusalem and all of that. And so when the exiles first started coming back from Babylon, they were met with a homeland and a a home city and all of that that was broken down and needed to be totally rebuilt. And now you begin to even remember the books of Ezra and Nehemiah where the people of God slowly began to rebuild their city and their lives and their homes. And yet, what we are finding here in Zechariah is this. It's now been almost 20 years since many of these people have come back from exile. And guess what? Though they have made sure to take care of building a home for themselves and trying to furnish and supply their home with everything that they needed and wanted, the foundation of God's temple was still there in its infant form, if you will. And that much of the city of Jerusalem was still rubble and, and boulders everywhere. And, and it, it needed not only built and rebuilt, it needed cleaned up and just... It needed some TLC. And it's hard for us maybe to put ourselves in this mindset, but I'm just going to like flash forward. It would be like us, you know, we started to build our phase one building over there on our property and we got the foundation up, you know, a few feet. And then 17 years later, it's still in that condition and we haven't made any more progress on it than that. And remember that the the temple is very important because it is sort of the symbolic presence of God with his people. It is it is that sacred space where God said, I will meet with my people and where you will come and worship me. Now, this book, this message from God through Zechariah to his people is actually an encouraging message, but. When God seeks to encourage His people, it may not be the way we think about encouragement. Because when God wants to build a foundation, whether it's the foundation of a church or the foundation of a life, He's got to dig deep. Because the deeper you go, the stronger the foundation is. 
And God, in a sense, through the prophet Zechariah, was going to drill down pretty deep and get to some of the core issues that needed to be addressed with the people of God before they could, you know, really build a strong spiritual foundation in their life. So his first message isn't going to maybe seem very encouraging, but it actually is. It's actually exactly what the people of God needed to hear at this time. And the first message, beginning in verse 2, is there's a new direction we must face as God's people. A new direction we must face. The Lord was very angry with your ancestors. Zechariah is reminding them, that's the whole reason they ended up in exile in Babylon to begin with. Because God and the worship of God was not a priority with the people of God anymore. In fact, they they became idolaters. They not only did not worship the true living God, but they set up false gods in their life. Therefore, God says through the prophet Zechariah to the people, the Lord who rules over all says, turn to me, says the Lord who rules over all, and I will turn to you. It is a call to repentance. God is saying, turn back to me. Make me the priority of your life. Because this is the whole reason why your ancestors got into trouble that they did. Because everything else and everyone else became more important than their relationship with me. And God is calling upon even his people now who have returned from exile. And you think about it. Did they not learn anything? Did they not learn anything in all those years of exile in Babylon? And even from the children of those people who went into exile, did they not learn that forsaking God was not the approach to take? It's like they're back in Jerusalem, but they're still floundering. They're back in their homeland, but they're still floundering. And God is saying, it's time to take a different approach. It's time to come back to me. And don't those words of Zechariah 1-2 remind you even of James 4-8 where God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you? God says, turn back to me and I'll turn back to you. Let's get close again. Sort of what we sang about and what Nicole was talking to us about how God wants to be close to his people. By the way, the phrase, the Lord who rules over all, can also be translated the Lord of hosts. It reminds us again that God is the God of all resources of all of the universe. He is the God who has all resources at his disposal. As the psalmist writes, he he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. There is nothing from the smallest molecule of the universe that God created all the way up to the gigantic stars that God has put in space. All of things are at God's disposal to use. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord who rules over everything from the smallest to the largest. And God is saying, I want to have a personal relationship with you. Turn back to me. Now we know that what's really happening here and why God's calling his people back to repentance, why he's asking them to take a new direction is because they have shirked their responsibility as the people of God. Turn back one page to the book of Haggai, the book right before Zechariah. Haggai was a contemporary of Zechariah. They prophesied 
at the same time. Okay? And notice what the Bible says in Haggai chapter 1, beginning at verse 2. It sort of gives us a little bit more understanding into why Zechariah is prophesying the way he is in chapter 1. The Lord who rules over all says this, These people have said the time for rebuilding the Lord's temple has not yet come. So the Lord spoke through the prophet Haggai as follows, Is it right for you to live in richly paneled houses while my temple is in ruins? Here then is what the Lord who rules over all says. Think carefully about what you are doing. You have planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you're never filled. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. Those who earn wages end up with holes in their money bags. Moreover, the Lord who rules over all says, pay close attention to these things also. Go up to the hill country, bring back timber to build the temple. Then I will be pleased and honored, says the Lord. Basically, he's saying through Haggai, here's your problem. You've taken care of yourselves real well, but you've neglected me. You've neglected making my house and the worship of me a priority. You've made sure you had everything, but you did not make me the most important thing in your life. And then you wonder why you're never fulfilled, you're never satisfied, no matter how much you get. And God is saying... Priorities. Your priorities are all messed up. And throughout the Word of God, God says, seek first the kingdom of God. Make God number one in your life. And then all those things that you think you want, and they actually will fall into place. And you actually find that when we put God first in our life, we will find fulfillment and satisfaction and meaning and all of that in our life. Instead of we like we've been talking about even on Sunday in the book of Genesis, we sometimes try to find our satisfaction and fulfillment and meaning outside of God and then wonder why we keep looking for it. When God is not the priority that He should be in our life and His house is not the priority that it should be in our life. And so God says, get your priorities right. Turn back to me and I'll turn back to you. So that's the first message. Then back to Zechariah chapter 1, verse 4, God also says through the prophet, there is a mistake we must avoid. If there's a direction, a new direction we must face in verses 2 and 3, there's also a new, or an old, excuse me, mistake we must avoid. The same mistake that the ancestors made. Do not be like your ancestors, God says in Zechariah 1.4, to whom the former prophets called out, saying, The Lord who rules over all says, Turn now from your evil wickedness. But they would by no means obey me. Literally, it means they wouldn't listen. That's the old mistake to avoid. They would not listen to God when God spoke through His prophets. And then notice... As for your ancestors, where are they? Did the prophets live forever? So the new direction they must face is repentance. Turn around. Stop going the way you're going. You, you need a different approach. Secondly, the old mistake they must avoid is they've got to start listening to God. When God is speaking, we've got to listen to Him. And the word obey in the Hebrew language and the word listen really are pretty much the same. Because from God's perspective, I'm truly listening, that means I will obey. 
to not obey is really not to listen, to not to pay careful attention to what God is saying. And so tonight, God is saying to his people, avoid the mistakes of those who came before you who did not listen to me when I was speaking to them. That's why Jesus, even when he walked on the earth and he taught, he would always say, you know, make sure you hear what I'm saying. Not physically hearing, but that you truly will listen. That's why he would use the terms that are translated in the New Testament. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you. In other words, it was a way to get their attention to say, I'm going to tell you something really important. Are you listening to me? God wants his people to always be listening for his voice. And Jesus even said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. John chapter 15. And then in verses 6, in verse 6, there's a timeless truth we must trust. And that is that God's words and statutes endure forever. His threats are never idle and his promises are unsaleably, unsaleably sure. Notice what God says through the prophet Zechariah in verse 6. But have my words and statutes which I commanded my servants, the prophets, not outlived your fathers? Then they paid attention and confessed. The Lord who rules over all has indeed done what he said he would do to us because of our sinful ways. Again, his threats are never idle. His promises are sure. And God says, I think my word's going to outlast you. It will outlive all of you. As Jesus even said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. God's word endures. And God is saying to his people through the prophet, my timeless truth must be trusted. So, there's a new direction we must face. Turn to God. There's an old mistake we must avoid. Listen to God. And there's a timeless truth we must trust. And that is the Word of God that stands and endures forever. Now, beginning in verse 7, Zechariah begins in one night to see eight visions that God gives him. These make up the bigger part of this book. And it's one of the reasons why people avoid the book of Zechariah because these visions are pretty wild, some of them. And many people go, I, I just, these visions are beyond me. I don't understand them, whatever. Well, we're going to give you understanding into these visions. But what I want you to see tonight is that all of these eight visions came to Zechariah in one very restless night. He received all of these visions in one night. In fact, the date, the night, is indelibly imprinted in his mind because notice, he writes down the day of all of these visions. On the 24th day of the 11th month, the month Shabbat, in Darius's second year, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah as follows. Now the reason why this 
very specific date is important is because it not only puts what's happening here into history, it actually happened, it, it really happened, but it is a reminder to us that God fashioned this message for this particular people at this particular time in history because He always wants to bring His Word to bear on each and every situation that you and I as His people will face. So He fashions His message message specifically for those times, just as he does today. He will take his word and through his Holy Spirit, he will literally fashion that message for you and I with exactly where we are right now and what we're dealing with so that his word literally has relevance for us right here and now. And I'm sure if You and I would have been Zechariah. It would have been, yeah, we will never forget that day either. The night we saw all these visions from God that forever made a lasting impression upon us. Well, for the ten minutes that we have left, I want to share with you three principles from these two first two visions in chapter 1 that I think can be an encouragement to you just as it was to the people of God. Because remember... The temple is still in ruins. The foundation is laid, but that's it. There's rubble everywhere. There's disrepair everywhere. The city is not anywhere near back to its glory. And remember, as the people of God, they're thinking, but God, you you promised us that Jerusalem would be filled with your glory and that the nations of the world would flow to Jerusalem and that your kingdom would, would be here on earth and that we would be a part of that. And they remembered, again, all of these great promises and, and things that God had said to His people. And now they're sitting in a bunch of rubble and disrepair. And I'm sure there's a little bit of discouragement there. Like, God, are you ever going to see... This bring this all about? Is this just pie in the sky by and by? Or are we just hoping against hope? Are, are, is it real? Are we ever going to experience the things that you said we would experience as your people? And God comes through the prophet Zechariah and reminds them of three things. First of all, beginning in verse 8, the Lord's presence was among His people. No matter where you and I are at in our life and what we are experiencing and what situations and circumstances we go through, one thing that we can always rely upon is that God's presence is always with us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice he says, I was attentive of that night and saw a man seated on a red horse that stood among some myrtle trees in the ravine. Behind him were red sorrel and white horses. Then I asked one nearby, what are these, sir? That's encouraging. Zechariah, even the prophet, didn't know what was going on. He had to have it explained to him. So the angelic messenger who replied to me said, I will show you what these are. Then the man standing among the myrtle trees spoke up. There was a man standing among the myrtle trees, but he wasn't just any man. We're going to see that he is introduced here in just a moment as the angel of the Lord. 
These are the ones whom the Lord has sent to walk out about on the earth. And he's talking there about these angels that are basically sent out as sort of a, a reconnaissance group to sort of come back to the Lord and report about all things going on in all places of the world, and especially Jerusalem and, and, and Israel and the people of God. Now, here's the cool thing, real, real quickly. God doesn't need any of these angels to report back to him and tell him what's going on. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. But just like with us, God chooses to use the angels. Just as he doesn't need us either, but he chooses to incorporate us into his kingdom and into his plan. He chooses to give us purpose and meaning and all of that in our life, even though he doesn't need the angels any more than he needs us. But he uses them. And they're reporting back to him. Then the writers, verse 11, then agreed with the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees. Notice, there's a difference in the Old Testament between an angel of the Lord and the angel of the Lord. I have told you before, I believe that the angel of the Lord is none other than a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. It was the angel of the Lord that spoke to Moses out of the burning bush in Exodus. It was the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, who spoke to Hagar whenever Abraham and Sarah basically banished her from their sight. Remember when the angel of the Lord met Hagar, the outcast? He said, they may have mistreated you, but I'm the God of Abraham. I won't mistreat you. I'm the God of the outcast. I'm the God who has, who's here for people who are pushed out by others. And I'm telling you, go back. I'll straighten this out. And remember, Hagar says, you are the God who sees me. Because in the Hebrew, to see someone is to care for them. And Hagar's basically saying, nobody cares about me, but you, God, the angel of the Lord, you care about me. That's the angel of the Lord. And you see him appearing throughout the Old Testament. He appeared to Joshua on the battlefield. Whenever Joshua said to him, are you for us or are you for them? And basically the angel of the Lord says, I'm not here to take sides. I'm here to take over. Joshua chapter 5. That's the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord is standing among the myrtle trees. Why is that significant? Because the myrtle tree was synonymous for the Hebrews of, of a of a period and time of prosperity. The myrtle tree is an evergreen shrub that can grow actually as high as 30 feet. And throughout the Bible, it is used as a, as a symbol of God's presence and prosperity amongst His people. And He's saying to them, I'm with you. And I'm going to restore you. And notice... The writers then agreed with the angel, the Lord, verse 11, who was standing among the myrtle trees. We've been walking about on the earth and now everything is at rest and quiet. Yeah, it is. That doesn't necessarily mean it's good. We think, oh, good. Everything's at rest and quiet on the earth. Well, yeah, that's because Darius, the Persian, has basically locked everything down and he's in control. That doesn't mean that the people of God are flourishing spiritually. That doesn't mean everything's right just because everything's at rest and quiet. And then notice verse 12. The next thing we see here is the Lord praying for His people. Not only the Lord's presence among His people, He's walking amongst the myrtle trees, but He's praying for His people. Verse 12, The angel of the Lord then asks, Lord who rules over all, how long before you have compassion on Jerusalem and the other cities of Judah, which you have been so angry with for these 70 years? 
You see here the intercession of Jesus Himself praying, I think, to the Father here and saying, Father, how long? It reminds us of verses in the New Testament like Hebrews 7.25 where the Bible says Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. Or Romans chapter 8, verses 22 or 23, where it says, Who will bring any charge against Christ's elect? Will Christ, the one who lived and, and died and now has risen again and is always interceding for us? Romans 8.23 Not only is God's presence always amongst His people, but we've got to remember that God is always praying for His people. Always. When you and I wake up tomorrow, we can count on the fact that God's presence is in our life and He's going to be praying for us tomorrow. Just as He has prayed for us today. Remember what Jesus even told Peter? Satan wanted to sift you like wheat, Peter, but I have prayed that your faith would not fail. It's so encouraging when we know that other Christians are praying for us. How encouraging is it to know that the Lord Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord, is praying for you? And Zechariah is to cry out and speak up and remind the people of God. God hasn't forgotten His promises. And God hasn't abandoned you. And just because things aren't the way you want them to be and whatever, it's time for you to wake up, make Him the priority, and know that He's never abandoned you. He's never forsaken you. His presence is amongst you. And He's praying for you. Get busy doing the work of the Lord. And then beginning in verse 13 through the rest of the chapter, we are reminded of the Lord's promises to His people. The Lord's presence is with His people. The Lord is praying for His people. And the Lord has made promises to His people. I love this. Verse 13. The Lord then addressed... And notice, by the way, Zechariah is now saying it's not just the angel of the Lord. It's the Lord who's speaking to me. The Lord then addressed... I love this. Good. Literally, the word in the Hebrew means beautiful words. Good and comforting words to the angelic messenger who was speaking to me. Turning to me, the messenger then said, Cry out that the Lord who rules over all says, I am very much moved for Jerusalem. The word moved there means zealous. God is saying, I am zealous for my people. I am zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. I am moved. You know, that's how God feels about you. God is literally moved for us. But notice, but I am greatly displeased with the nations that have taken my grace for granted. Ooh. See, God is saying, even though I've allowed these nations like Babylon and the Medes and the Persians to rule over the earth at this point and to subjugate my people for a time and whatever, He says, yeah, they've had it good. They're wealthy. They've got all these things. But they've taken my grace for granted because they don't realize that it's only by my grace that they were able to have all that they were able to have. And it's going to come to an end. Remember even back in the book of Daniel, the writing on the wall? God says, I counted your kingdom and it's been found wanting. It's time to pass it on to somebody else more worthy than... You, Belshazzar. 
Therefore, says the Lord, verse 16, I have become compassionate toward Jerusalem and will rebuild my temple in it, says the Lord who rules over all. Once more, a surveyor's measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem. Speak up again with the message of the Lord who rules over all. My cities will once more overflow with prosperity. And once more, the Lord will comfort Zion and validate His choice of Jerusalem. That's why the angel of the Lord is walking amongst the myrtle trees. It is a picture to God's people that prosperity is coming to them. Do not abandon the promises of God. God remembers His promises. God remembers His covenant. Zechariah, the name Zechariah. But then notice the second vision. Verse 18, Once again I looked, and this time I saw four horns. Horns were always symbolic of military power in the Old Testament. So I asked the angelic messenger who spoke with me, what are these? And he replied, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. The nations that again have subjected them and subjugated them over the years. And then the Lord showed me four blacksmiths or craftsmen. I asked, what are these going to do? And he answered, these horns are the ones that have scattered Judah so that there is no one to be seen but the blacksmiths. Again, because he's the Lord of hosts, he can use whatever he wants to, have come to terrify Judah's enemies and cut off the horns, the power of the nations that have thrust themselves against the land of Judah in order to scatter its people. God says, I promise you this. There is future prosperity for my people and there is coming future judgment for those who've taken my grace for granted. And you can take that to the bank, God says. Why? Because of the timeless truth that you can trust. Has not my word not outlived all of you, God says? Will not my word endure? Is not my word reliable and dependable and trustworthy and sure? Then God says, mark it down. Get busy. Make me the priority once again. Turn to me and I will turn to you because my presence is among you. You've got everything you need. I'm praying for you. And my promises are just as real and just as trustworthy today as they were the day I made them. Do not think that I will ever turn my back on my word. That I will never fulfill the promises that I have made to you. I will. I will. So that's why Zechariah starts out by saying, We need to face a new direction. Turn things around. The approach we've been taking isn't working. The old mistake we must avoid is not listening to God. And the timeless truth we must trust is to trust in the sure word and statutes of God. Next week, we're going to see how we need to let God's promise correct our perceptions how we need to let God's summons awaken our urgency, and how we need to let God's presence inspire our praise. By the way, even though every week is important, and I would love to see many, many more people come out each week, I want to leave you with this tonight as we end. Two weeks from tonight, January the 17th, I'm going to be speaking on Zechariah chapter 3. I am asking everyone who comes on Wednesday night for that particular Wednesday to to see about bringing somebody with you that night. Inviting somebody to come with you. 
All these messages, I think, are very important and can be very encouraging, but Zechariah chapter 3 is very, very, very sort of close to my heart. And something that I think just, boy, every one of us needs to be reminded of the truth of Zechariah chapter 3. It's all good, but there's something I think very special in this book about Zechariah chapter 3. So two weeks from tonight, January 17th, not only think about you coming, but is there somebody that you could bring with you that night on January the 17th to hear the truth of Zechariah chapter 3? Thank you guys. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that thousands of years ago, in a much different time, in a much different place, and even much different circumstances, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah for his people so that they could hear good and comforting words through the prophet Zechariah because they weren't in a good place. And they needed to have a strong foundation built in their life. And that foundation was only going to be built when they got their priorities straight and they began to listen to God once more and make His Word the timeless truth that they would trust. God, I pray that You and I here today in 2018 now would hear this same message through Zechariah and that God is just as relevant to us today as it was back then. That we need to be reminded no matter what our circumstances or situation, God, Your presence is always right there with us. That You are always praying for us and that Your promises are to us are sure, trustworthy, reliable, and dependable. May we not give up hope on your promises. May we cling to them and live by them every day. Go with us, God, from this place. Give us a great rest of the week and help us to make 2018 the best year we've ever had spiritually in our lives. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for being here. We'll see you next week.